You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. John Worth, I'm here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. This is the severe jet lag edition, but uh, I am in the office, in studio, and have the good fortune of uh, being here with Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Welcome back. That's Jamie Lasanti swigging water before we get going. Let's wrap up the uh, 2019 Australian Open. We will put a bow or a bow, as it were, on this uh, first major of the year. I'm interested in hearing from you because this is always that strange event that's wonderful to attend in person, but very hard to process from the U.S. You have to be a really devoted tennis fan, as you are. Um, but you have a full-time job. You it's cannot be. Uh, you can't can't be getting up at two thirty in the morning to no, watch Sloane Stevens. It's hard because there are points where, especially on the weekends, where it's very possible to stay up beyond midnight and kind of not feel so bad about it so um i think it was the it must have been the middle Middle saturday and it was serena's match was at 3 a.m and there i was awake at 2 30 and i had some work to do on sunday and i said to myself if you stay up you are not sleeping tonight or if you go to sleep you'll be okay for sunday i think uh Serena Williams forgives you if you missed her. Uh, I can't remember who she played. Yastremska, maybe? Don't worry. You, you, uh, yeah. Serena won so, in straight sets. So I, I, I didn't stay up. No, but it's I, not everyone. Because I knew, knew if I exactly. even decided to just, oh, just watch the first set or just watch the first 20 minutes. No, it was never going to happen. So I put myself to sleep. I tried to follow along, you know, a little bit on my phone. And then we've we've all been there. It uh, tennis demands a lot from its fans, but uh, American fans during the Australian Open, you uh, this is this is a good litmus test of how devoted you are to the sport. What you um, I mean, how'd this play out? What'd you sort of top line thoughts? What'd you make of the event from here? I mean, I thought it was great. One of the biggest things that I noticed and really appreciated was that 
the quality of players, um, you know, particularly in the women's draw, that were left as we continued. Usually, you have some big upsets, you have some big names exiting, and you know, all of the air is let out of the tournament, and people aren't as interested. But I felt like between obviously Osaka and Kvitova, but even beyond that, there were so many storylines, so many big players in the you know top ten, top twenty, and that really helped with just interest and uh, competition and kept the matches really good, um, except for some on the men's side. But um, Our theme from the fall was uh, one theme was this was sort of sneaky good year 2018 was for women's tennis. I would take sneaky out of that sentence now. I just think the women's game is in a really nice place. And uh, to your point, you're absolutely correct. I think after three rounds, by the third round, all top eight women were in the draw. And that's the first time that it happened in, in more than a decade. And the you know, look, the big upsets were you know, Sharapova beating Wozniacki, which was kind of a, a pick-up match. Things got really—one of the weirder results I've seen in a long time was Danielle Collins beating Angie Kerber 0-2. Uh, that was a surprise. But no, there were—I um, I think I have this right. There were 11 women that could have entered— that ended the tournament and had a chance to be number one when they exited. And by the middle weekend, I think nine were still remaining. So, um, and, you know, we, we had a breakthrough. Daniel Collins was surprise semifinalist. But in the end, we had two of the better players. Kvitova had already won a, a tune-up event. Osaka had won the previous major. You know, the, the Serena Williams situation was um, a, a bit strange. And I think didn't get—I I don't know if people were just— sort of gingerly dancing around it, or there was some Serena fatigue after the U.S. Open. I thought Serena herself was very gracious in sort of giving all credit to the opponent and did not make any, you know, she she very, um, she really downplayed both the injury and, you know, what I think a lot of people online thought was a fairly questionable footfall call. Uh, I think Serena very much doused that controversy in as much that it was controversial. Uh, but no, I agree with your... Uh, I, I had the same experience in person. I thought it was a very strong women's tournament uh, in particular, good tournament overall. Um, did you see Naomi Osaka? Did I see her? Did you watch? Uh, How could you miss it? Um, yeah, I just thought, I mean, I, I think one thing that's really interesting, everyone says, oh, she backed up her U.S. Open title. That factually is correct. I saw a very different player. I mean, the U.S. Open title, she just absolutely rolled through the field. I mean, there, there was one stretch where she went, I think it was 19 games without dropping a game. Right. She won a match Love and Love. I mean, she only dropped one set the whole tournament. Right. And in Australia, she was really pressed. I think four, four of her seven matches went three, three sets. sets exactly. She had, you know, she played lefties. She played moon ballers. She had and tricky I think, tennis. I think that was part of the reason, too, why a lot of people thought, you know, this would be Kvitova's time. Um, you know, and, and she was... Kvitova looked like Osaka did at the U.S. Open, where she was just hadn't dropped a set, Rolling. was yeah, just exactly. playing everyone out, and it, it was incredible. So you thought this is going to be exactly like Osaka at the U.S. Open, but it turned out that you know Osaka, like you said, she was very um, just composed. I felt uh, throughout the matches, which not like she hadn't been before, but she just seemed, uh, you know, with all of the the new sponsorships and all this new pressure she, she didn't see, yeah she didn't seem phased by it which is really impressive um i think it just speaks to her personality i just think she has no you know, first of all I'll throw, I'll throw a number at you granted the person who gave me this has you know some, some skin in the game but 30 million dollars is what osaka is projected to make in in off-court income 
in 2019. I mean, this is a player who was not ranked in the top 50 at this point last right. year. I just don't think she cares. And I don't, and, and I, I think a lot of people, there's some athletes where you just kind of, you, you get them, right? Steph Curry, dad was a pro, nice kid, surprise NBA career. I mean, we sort of, there's some athletes where I think the fans sort of, we, we've seen the archetype, we understand them. I, I still think Osaka is someone that everyone's trying to figure out. I think she's very endearing. I think she comes across well. But I think one thing is that there's a real toughness there that you don't, get in interviews, and I don't think she wants to be a celebrity. I don't think she's, you know, I don't think there's pretension there, but not every player would have won that match against Sarita Williams. Not every player would have lost match points in the second set of a major final, left the court in tears, and then regrouped and won the third set. There's a lot to like about Osaka, and I think everyone is still trying to figure out what she's all about, and um, there's, there's an element of sort of endearing quirk but I think she's really, really tough, and I think people are, are fooled if they sort of see the giggles and the video game references and um, the on-court interviews where she's self-deprecating. I, I think there's a real level of self-belief there that um, I think really bodes well for her for her future. Agree. I think it's very hard to uncover that though like she she shows that on the court but like you said everything she puts on or not even puts on but everything she expresses during interviews or on her social media or just you know when she's off the court away from the game is so opposite of somebody who's like super confident and it's just so badass like it's it's really interesting and I think I think part of the reason to your point is people probably are a little confused by that I think you're like, is she this is, is she not faking something, so right. or which so right. which part of her is like her? But I think I don't know. It's kind of as you said, it's it's quirky, and I think that is really truly who she is because I think she's a little bit uncomfortable with some right. of the fame and and the attention, but she's also just kind of fun, and that's her personality. I think there's nothing sort of disingenuous. I don't I don't think there's anything scripted, or I mean, there was there was one really funny moment where I don't know if you saw this. I think it was the middle weekend, Sam Smith, who's terrific. Shout out to Sam Smith. Uh, interviewed Osaka, which is never an easy job, especially live after a match. It was the encore interview. And she says, you know, what are you doing? And Osaka said, well, you know, I'm trying to go out a little bit and around Melbourne. And Sam Smith says, well, do, are people noticing you? And Osaka said, no. As if, as if she'd asked about her, you know, her, her third head, as yeah. if it were the most preposterous idea that the winner of the U.S. Open who is this international celebrity and has a Japanese media army trailing her might actually be, be recognized uh, away from tennis. I, I don't think she's completely come to grips with her level of stardom, but I also don't think she cares. I, I think she's, she likes playing tennis. And I think that um, that's what she's in this for. And if she doesn't have to do good morning, she was on good morning America yesterday. Yeah. I saw it on Twitter. I didn't see it. Was it good? Uh, yeah. She was on the screen. You know, she was just, she wasn't there. Okay. Um, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was ever, it was, it was never about uh, endorsements and morning morning TV and anything other than winning tennis tournaments. Um, Which is interesting, though, because her, you know, how she was so groomed from a young age, you think that that might have been part of it, right? I mean, if you are following in the steps and following the blueprint of Serena Williams... Yeah, no, that, there, that's an part element. of the right, and there's also the an element. I mean, I think there's also sort of just practically speaking, like you're right. I mean, the, this Williams blueprint—they're very upfront about uh, that's that's always been the template. And part of the Williams blueprint is we made a lot of sacrifices, and we're going to take advantage of these commercial opportunities, and that's completely understandable. It's completely rational. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, I. Don't begrudge any athlete any endorsement money, but I do think um, there's this disconnect where I just, you know, Naomi Osaka has become, for a variety of reasons, this global marketing phenom. Part of it is heritage, part of it is youth, part of it is that the Olympics in 2020 are going to be in Tokyo, and I just don't think she cares. Um, All right, let's... uh, One last thing I want to close on. No, go, go. Was that her mom... I think that might be part of it, too, is what her mom said or what she said her mom said to her after the win when she she called her and she basically was like upset with her. And she told her, you just go to sleep. Yeah, you right, know, right, it's right. late. Like it, you, you need to. Do you know you where the mom? Uh, do you know the mom? was? you know where she was? Where was Did she? that come out? I believe the mom was accompanying uh, the older sister Got to it. an ITF event somewhere in, in Michigan. So I mean I think there's a lot of perspective that comes with that. You have right, an older sister. who, But, but the, yeah, the mom is, you know, 10,000 miles away. In Michigan, she wins her second. She grand. wins her second major, yeah. and right. then you she says, "She says, go to sleep. You know why? Why are you up so late? Why are you calling me? Why are you yeah, up right. so late? Go yeah. to sleep. Good, good job, and I'll get your rest." Yeah, it, and I don't know. I think that's probably part of it too. That's something. That's a dynamic that you know maybe we'll learn more about as we get to know Osaka and her family and um, all of that more. But it's an interesting layer that I think definitely plays into everything we're just talking about. I'm glad you brought that up. Well put. I think it's great that the, the mom's response was, congratulations on your major, get your rest. And I think it's great that the mom was 10,000 miles away saying, you know, I've, you're not my only child and I have obligations to uh, to my other daughter as well. All right, Jamie, let's keep going with the uh, women. I, um, I, I summon you as a former college athlete, but also as someone who watches from afar. Thoughts on Danielle Collins? Who, uh, in, in particular, her, uh, what a, and I'm, I'll contaminate the jury and tell you, you'll you'll know from my phrasing where I stand. But I would say her, uh, I would say admirable self-confidence, admirable and abundant self-confidence. Did you have a problem with it? I, I think 
it was sort of defined as as swagger or as you said lots of confidence is swagger gender loaded what do we think you think so i don't know all right keep going maybe keep going did it bother you maybe Yes and no. I mean, I think with her, I feel like it doesn't come from like a cruel place. You kind of knowing her backstory a little bit and her just like quick rise. I feel like part of me is says, you know what? She she should have that confidence. I mean, she should walk around like that. I mean, she went from literally playing this time last year challengers to right. she and Osaka both outside the top fifty. The difference was yeah, exactly. She but was I think yeah, the, the difference between her and Osaka is that. Think about how many other American players we were talking right. about besides her. Well, and we're getting funding. But, uh, no, you're absolutely right. And so no, you're right. Um, that part, I think, you know, I, I applaud her for that. And I say, you know what, if she wants to be super confident and, and that way, then fine. I could see how some people may think some of her actions are a little bit abrasive. But um, I'm with you. Um, I got uh, I think she has no one an apology. Danielle Collins, also for the record, she's up to number 23 in the world. Um, I thought she had a terrific tournament. Look, I does she have to pump her fist in the direction of opponents? Does she have to curse? No, but you know what? She's not the only one, and good for her. So often, and I, I don't think this is specific, but you know, so, so often, Jamie, we talk about players who, oh, they've got all the shots, and they just sometimes lack self-belief in the critical moments. Well, you know what? Daniel Collins does not lack self-belief, and uh, good for her. Um, all right, let's. You want to switch over to the men? Any anything else on the women's side? I mean, weird. Uh, did Did you see the Maria Vegemite uh, campaign? I saw that. Did that make? Uh, I saw did that. Make it over here. I saw that uh, in your in your fifty parting thoughts, but um, weird. Did, yeah, a little weird. I gotta say, um, a little. Uh, not often you see tournament sponsors uh, throwing shade, as uh, you could say. On one player in particular, a uh, little strange, but uh, I and I don't know if she commented on it. Um, I was going to ask, did anyone? I don't think so. I mean, she was, she shut down other lines of inquiry that she found uh, adverse. Um, I have such mixed feelings about Maria Sharapova these days, and in some ways find her so admirable, and, and in other ways, I, I still feel like there's still a reckoning that hasn't quite happened, but we don't have to talk about that now. She has confirmed, um, though, she will be sticking around. So Yeah, no, and I, again, I, I think there's a lot about her and the way she goes about her business that really is admirable and something other players would do well to emulate. I still think there's some... Uh, we'll, we'll deal with this another time. All right, let's talk about men. Uh, Serena, anything? You want, you want to... Uh, I'm just saying what other sort of themes from women we should... Uh, Hit on any uh, strange match? No, I mean uh, Halep and and th- thought that that was a good match. Um, you know that Halep matches was terrific. Yeah, high level tennis, and uh, I thought Halep. Wait, can I, can we uh, can I can I make a point here that yes. I was just thinking about, and I feel like hasn't gotten its due. And you mentioned Halep, but you could have said this for any. This is such a strange time for tennis. There is so much politicking and backstabbing and narcissism and sort of behind the scenes chaos and these stupid competition over this a this ATP World Team Cup that I think is just an atrocity and meanwhile the tennis is terrific and I would suggest that the overall character of the players has never been higher like the actual people hitting the ball are wonderful and you literally could go down the list and it's it's Sitsipas and Francis and Holop and Sl- I mean you literally go down the rankings 
and they are funny and cool and diverse, and there, it's there's literally no player that you really can have any sort of adverse feelings for. And the adults, in the, the, old, the adults in the room are the ones that are sort of uh, mucking things up and the I empty suits. And but the the players themselves just are awesome. Every player that you mentioned though is under twenty five, right? Like I mean, a a young player. Um, people that you're talking about for the most part. Do you think? I wonder I would if say the adults who. I mean, D- Dimitri. I mean, literally, I, I feel bad even like. You know, enumerating and picking out names because you're going to leave someone off. I, I mean, you know, I, th- I think one theory is obviously when Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray are terrific, and the, you know, obviously the analogs on the women's side when the people at the top of the game are cool and accommodating and thoughtful. Right. The person ranked number 37 isn't going to be a jerk. So I think a lot of this is probably top down and then leaders setting culture. But I, I just, you know, I did these interviews for Tennis Channel, and you'd sort of hang out and wait for the players to come, and, God, I mean, just men, women, old, young, veteran, Marin Cilic, like, in the middle of the interview, tried to look over to congratulate Mackie McDonald, the player he had just played, and he said to me, oh, this, this guy's really good. Do you know how good he is? Try, I mean, it's not Feels often, like some of not that often is, one is, athlete uh... in another sport was, like, trying to impress upon the media how good the competitor. I mean, I, I just find men, women, old, young, rookies, veterans – that's interesting. It's such a nice group of players. It's it's the adults fighting over the money that are sort of uh, the the toxic influence. Do you but think the players are awesome? Do you think it was partly because of the setting, Australia, January, beginning of the year? I mean, like, can yeah, we re- can like we revisit everyone, this I, in, at the U.S. Open when everyone's like tired and injured and hurting and sweaty and there, they there's just no don't, question they're, yeah, they're over it. Fair, fair point. Fair <laughs> point. I mean, there's no question the. Uh, Australia, I, I can't remember who said Maybe it was our friend Courtney. Someone made a, the point that I think is totally valid, that Australia brings out the best in everyone personally. It's it's a cool place. Right. It's I think year, we talked but, about this but also a the best tennis. But I think, But I think also the, the point that um, – I'll credit Courtney. Why not? I have no idea if it's her. But uh, we stop at nothing to uh, to pump up Courtney. They, also, that from a tennis standpoint, it's, it's healthy. It's usually the best field just because right. no one's been injured yet. It brings out the best tennis as well as sort of the best personally. But I, I think it goes beyond sort of happy to be in Australia. I just think, I mean, again, you just go up and down the rankings. Look at the way Hala talked about the Williams sisters. I mean, there are thousands of these examples and these small gestures. I just think, I can't remember in, you know, I don't want to be one of these back in my days, but, you know, in, in whatever, in 20-plus years of covering the sport, I can't remember a time when the field was collectively this really cool. Special. But I also, But I also can't remember a time when there's been this much backstabbing politics and sort of rumor mongering and empty suits and I wonder uh, if part of it is is social media and is that kind of um, yeah I think that, because that's, that's interesting. I think if you are a bad person and you are kind of nasty or you do something you are not going to hide away from that I mean people are going to let you know about it it's going to be everywhere it's going that's to be really on every point. and so I think uh, maybe you hold yourself up to a little bit higher of a standard um, knowing that all eyes are on you, but also you are in control That's of right. how you market yourself, essentially. I mean, I could pick up my phone, swipe on my Instagram, and right. you know, take a live video and kind of talk to fans and, and show my personality without somebody else, but without it going through another filter. So I think um, maybe That's... that has given people the opportunity and, I don't know, maybe the confidence to be a little bit more personable. I think 
um, athletes when they sit down, not just with you, but in that setting, sit down, we have mics, we have cameras, lights, we're sitting down. Right. It's kind of really uncomfortable. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable for anyone. So maybe that has given them a little bit more, um, you know, put them a little bit more at ease in those kind of situations. That's a good point. There also, I mean, the other thing too is there were cameras everywhere. Um, I you know, I mean, I think yeah, it goes. I think hide. no, they can't can't hide. But I mean, I think some of this is more organic than just people don't want to uh, get get caught doing something indefensible on camera. But. Um, your point is anyway, well taken I just, about. I, I don't mean I don't know how. Uh, I also I don't know how like the folks in marketing. I mean I don't know how you run with that and say, hey, listen, uh, our players are really nice. Tennis has good people. Yeah, exactly. Um, Watch tennis. But I just I, I was really struck by that. Uh, anyway, all right, let's. That's, um, That's something something that uh, you know is is good for people to hear is because you are on the ground and you are yeah, seeing and those it wasn't, interactions. It wasn't always like this. I've, I've got no. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just yeah, that's a good point too. I mean. When when the cameras are rolling, everybody smiles. But um, yeah, when, I, I can't remember. I think I wrote this. Maybe I didn't. I tell you the Sitsipas story. Yeah, I was gonna say this is a bus. Did I write that? Yes. I meant to. Oh, good. When uh, just for the we were we were waiting. We were doing an interview with him, and there was a technical difficulty. Right. And we had to reshoot it. My favorite part about that story, though, is uh, the the. Yeah, I'll tell the story though. Well, the point that he he wants what? some more friends. I felt. Oh, I know. I yeah. felt for him At a one point, bit. He, he said, uh, "You know, every, everybody's on their phone too much. I just wish we could have, have conversation." Um, yeah. So he said, though, that you know, he's. Uh, I'll read your. Uh, I'll read your quote here. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not going to have friends out of the tour because they can't afford to travel with me. But I'm those working. Are, those are his Greek friends. I mean, but I'm working on it. Right. Yeah, of course. But he wants to. You know, he. I would love to have more friends on tour. He said, but he he spoke about how. Um, you know, language is is a thing that kind of determines right, who hangs right, out with who, right. which makes a lot of sense. Um, but he, you know, talked about how he's finding his comfort zone with people, but he's a little bit shy, which I was, um, you know, surprised to hear him talk about. But he's, he's a lo- uh, PSA. He's looking PSA. for friends. Yeah, on the exactly. Tour. <laughs> no, but the, well, I mean, the other thing about that just the there is not a great Greek contingent that he can travel with. Right. Right. I mean, players from other countries. I mean, look at how the Americans sort of have this mm-hmm. pack and uh, they always have someone to have dinner with. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, and I, it's another reason why this ATP World Cup, I think, is just such a stupid idea. Uh, what, what do you do about him? So he's he's not supposed to play because uh, there, there isn't another, you know, comparable player from his country. Uh, anyway, well, let's, let's save that for another time. Let's, let's talk, man. Um... I guess in some ways, not at all a surprise. Djokovic Nadal final, one and two, two best players in the world, winners of you know more than thirty majors between them, um, and yet I don't think anyone foresaw the match going quite like that. That was a strangely lopsided final. All credit to Djokovic, who it's funny. Djokovic week one did not necessarily play his best tennis. A couple of sort of lapsy periods, dropped a set uh, to Chapovalov, really got. A workout from uh, from Medvedev, and then just rolled, and that the Dahl match was um, that was uh, not how a lot of people saw that one going. Definitely, um, as you said, not a surprise, but I think it's just adds to this Djokovic comeback story that keeps growing and keeps extending. Um, it it's incredible to think about. You know, again, as we were talking about with Osaka or, or Daniel Collins, I mean, this time last year, 
conversation was, is uh, completely different. And so um, the turnaround in one year is remarkable considering um, everything that he changed and went through, uh, the injury, and yeah, gluten-free my, uh, all the way. I'm with it. Let's you, let's get on this diet. You want my favorite trivia question? Not my favorite, but a, a trivia question uh, that we served up. Yes. Who was the last player to beat Novak Djokovic at a major? Marco Cecchinato at the uh, remember that, that that crazy French Open match, and the one before that was Young Chun, who's really say, sort of fallen at, off the map. So at last year's Australian Open, and last year's Australian Open. So so Djokovic, you know, a, a year ago was losing struggling. Yeah, exactly, yeah. losing. Uh, you know, in middle weekend of of majors, and now uh, here he is going for four straight majors. Um, other, uh, I mean, so we, we've talked about Tsitsipas personally. We didn't talk much about his tennis. That win over Federer was a, a signature win for uh, for the kid. It was. I uh, I wanted to ask you about Andy Murray uh, because you were there and because that news broke while I think you had already left um, and, you know, you were en route to Melbourne. So what was uh, the situation like? I mean, was his match? Do you want my theory on that? I do. Andy Murray's lovely guy. That all came out. It was, I, th- I think it's really heartening that, um, I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people saw this kid mumbling and, and the image, especially in the UK was set and it had no bearing to reality. I think people within tennis know he's cool, funny. I mean, it's, he was one of the first podcast guests because, uh, he always thought it was better to have a conversation. I mean, I've, I, I think everyone in tennis has a, a real admiration for the guy and that came out. It's been a very frustrating period ever since he, remember, he had that fall cannonball run to get the number one ranking. And ever right. since then, his body has really, and whether, I, th- I think if he had to do it again, he would have trained a little differently. He talked about how we see it as a virtue that you train through the pain and you get up and you do your, even when your body's telling you it wants a rest, you have to outwit your body. And I think he's been very eloquent about how this athlete mentality is sometimes uh, not an ally. It's been a very frustrating period for him. We remember that. I don't know if you remember when he played in Washington, D.C., and there was that match after midnight, and he had that emotional reaction. I think some people thought that, well, this is... He's he's back, and it 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 was all worthwhile. We talked about it a little bit, and I I think I think I had that opinion that it was sort of like everything I did to get to this point is now paying off, and, you know, even though the result of this match... I'm just so right. overcome with emotion. But to your point, I don't think that was the case. Yeah. I think it was quite I'm, the opposite, my, actually. Uh, my, my mortality has yeah. now uh, sort of made itself more pronounced right. than ever. Like he, he, he played that match and probably went, Boy, oh, crap. Exactly. Like, I, this I got is no not more. good. Yeah. Um, so my theory is he, he gets to Australia. It's been very understandably frustrating for him. He plays this match against Djokovic, and they announce this, and it's sort of a, a publicity opportunity Djokovic and Murray, of course, came up together. They were born within a few weeks of each other. This is a real benchmark, and Murray feels pain, and he doesn't feel like himself. And the fact that the guy on the other side of the net is his longtime friend, rival, frenemy, opponent in Wimbledon finals, I mean, whatever it is. I mean, I think the fact that it was Djokovic there um, was relevant, and um, I think that that had a lot to do with it. He is in an, you know, he's he's in a bit of a state. He says, you know what, enough is enough. And I I don't want to say he regretted it. I mean, obviously, there's been medical news since then. But I get the feeling sort of this thing took on momentum of its own. 
And there was that awkward, I don't know if you saw the awkward awkward interview when Murray, who plays this terrific first-round match, entertaining match, goes five sets. Batista Agu's a great player. He's already beaten Djokovic. Um, in some ways, this was a vintage Andy Murray way to go out if it was his last match. But you also have the feeling he's saying, you know what, I feel better today, and I'm playing five sets. I mean, he couldn't get through a practice session with right. Djokovic, and suddenly he's playing a five-set match, and he's into it. And for periods of that match, he looked terrific. And you get the feeling that maybe this thing took on a life of its own, you and Murray so? was sort of like, whoa. Um, I, you right. just had a feeling that... Because everything was basically, oh, yeah. here's a, the best moments of Andy exactly. Murray's Exactly, and they put together and, this video, and it's yeah. all very hard. You know, I was, um, this is going to sound name-droppy, but it was, you know, I, I was texting with Judy Murray, and I think everybody was really caught up in the moment, and it must have been so heartening that all of this was about... What an honorable guy he is, he and all these women. Not so fast. Does, yeah, and I get the feeling he's. You know, I don't. I don't think he's. I. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's o- only he knows, and I don't even know if he knows. But well, I do get. He the, has a metal hip. I do so get I the feel. Well, exactly, and obviously we have we have medical news since then. Um, but I do get the feeling this this sort of took on a bit of a life of its own, and you sort of had this feeling, watching him and knowing him a bit, especially when he did this encore interview with Mark Petchy after that match. You had a feeling he was sort of like I, I think I wrote it was like Tom Sawyer attending his own funeral you get the feeling he was a little like this thing has gotten away from me a bit so I, th- I think we just need to wait and see it's a little like the, the Federer retirement talk you know what I'm not even sure the principals know I don't think Federer has a retirement date I don't think Andy Murray knows yes here is my end date I think you just need to sort of let the athletes assume they know themselves better than we do and um let them make their own decision. Um, all right. What, uh, Francis, do you have, I don't know, what, any other sort of, I'm interested in how you process this tournament from afar. Anything else uh, jump out at you? Uh, yeah, TFO. I mean, I oh, I said this, I think, in one of our, our roundtables that we did throughout the tournament, but um, really happy to see him kind of break through. He, he seems to have this big time confidence i mean you see it in the celebrations and he's really into it um and yeah it's it was unfortunate that he he lost when he he did yeah i think like it was kind of like he was really built up and then the balloon popped there but um you know that's it's it's promising for him um to see that and you know it's been a long time coming so well put um yeah i mean i think he he had a big win over kevin anderson which was um I would say, I mean, I, Kevin Anderson wasn't 100%. He looked like he was having, in, in, I didn't see the match, but I think he had an arm issue. Um, but I think the fact that Francis was able to back that up was really impressive. It's one thing to score a big upset. It's another thing to, and Tsitsipas did the same thing. It's one thing right. to score a big upset in a big court and take out a seat. It's another thing to go back 48 hours later and keep winning best of five matches. But I think you said the balloon was popped. Um, I, I'm buying that. I mean, Francis against Nadal just looked like, two players um, almost playing a different sport. I mean, right. Nadal was terrific for the first six rounds, so there's no shame in losing in straight sets to Rafa. But um, I think Francis leaves encouraged, picked up a nice check, picked up a lot of rankings points. Remember, he won Del Rey last year right. in February, so it must be reassuring to him that he doesn't need to worry about right. defending all those points. That mm-hmm. said, um, Nadal sort of said, uh, not so fast there, yeah, it puts like I think you you alluded to this, but it puts things in perspective a little bit. Um, it yeah, makes good, you wonder. Good work. We're not there yet. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I think uh, you never know. Um, I think also 
Milos Ronic was pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I until thought... until weirdly until he wasn't. Um, no, he was terrific. This was a guy who came within a few games of making the final. Right, I think three years ago he, he was another person who was really at the top of his game and then really fell injuries. off, and, and the injuries really plagued him. So um, beat Zverev handily. I mean, at one point he won twelve of thirteen games. But what is at this yeah, point? How much does that really? Um, Zverev plus best of five is uh, an equation that needs to uh, improve. But um, definitely, uh, no. Uh, Ronich had a great first week, and then a um, bit of a mystifying loss to Luca Pui. Um, all right, uh, we are going to wrap this up. Um, as uh, I believe the football guys are coming in here soon, we will have another guest uh, next week. She may be named Pam Shriver, but I don't want to uh, make any promises. And, Jamie, it's always a pleasure talking tennis. Good to do this uh, actually in person and not uh, over speaker phones and Skype and uh, long-distance lines. Sounds good. good. To be here. All right. Um, thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep your guest suggestions coming. We will have uh, another podcast in a week. That wraps up the Australian Open. We haven't even played the Super Bowl, and we're already – a quarter of the way done with uh, tennis's big ticket events. Um, all part of the uh, sports charms and quirks. All right. Till next week. Have a good week, everyone. Take care.